You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. I'm Phil, and I'm really glad that you've joined us as we look to make space for the Holy Spirit. Today, I'm joined by Father Albert Hass. Now, he previously joined the podcast back in December to discuss his book, Becoming an Ordinary Mystic, but he's actually written 11 books, and I know that his work has had a major impact on my own spiritual disciplines, and I know that many others feel the same way. So he's joined us here today to share about the four Ds of our spiritual life, really just our life in general, dryness, desolation, dark nights, and depression. Father Albert guides us into what each one looks like as well as practices for when we discover that our spiritual life has become dry, when we feel abandoned by God, or when we're struggling with the difficulty of something such as depression. This is a super practical episode again, and it is something that covers areas of life where we've all experienced these difficulties. No matter who we are, no matter where we are in our journey, no matter what we've done or what's happened to us, these types of issues affect us all. And the good news is that God does not abandon us, that there are ways to continue to seek after God, continue to open ourselves to the voice of God. So brothers and sisters, thank you for joining us in this episode. A special thanks to Father Albert for returning. I pray that this episode blesses you, challenges you, and encourages you. So brothers and sisters, here is my discussion with Father Albert Hass. You're 22 seconds early. (laughs) It is so good to see you, Father Albert. It's it's good to be back with you, Phil. Oh, and what a surprise! What a surprise the other day to uh, see that little live thing you had going on on Facebook. That was so cool to have you join. We do that. Every, we do that every <laughs> Sunday night. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so we do Lectio Divina. We just uh, we choose a passage, we go through it, and then we have discussion. So it's it's a and lot of fun. That's Sunday night at what time usually? Eight, eight o'clock central. Eight o'clock. I'm gonna have to remember that. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's fun, you know. But yeah, that was an honor to have you come on. That was cool. Well, I was so surprised. I was so surprised. Well, thank you for coming on here again. Oh, I'm I'm absolutely delighted to be on, Bill. We are thank in you. Lent. And so as you and I have been talking about this, we thought it would be a good time to dive into what you call the four D's. Um, And you've written about this in a number of different places. So I was kind of scouring your work to find the different places you talk about this. Um, But Lent, especially this time when we reflect on our mortality, we're reflecting on the fact that we're human. And that means as humans, difficult things come up, right? Mm. Then what do we do? <laughs> and not and, and the, the difficult things come up, and they oftentimes come up in our spiritual lives. Because I think you know sometimes there's a there's kind of a cockamamie belief out there that somehow or another my spiritual life is somehow or another independent of my everyday ordinary life. And so it's important to remember that what impacts us spiritually also oftentimes gets played out in our ordinary everyday life. Absolutely. 
Well, so let's jump in straight into the four Ds in any order you want. We have desolation, dryness, dark night, and depression. So we're mm. going to spend a few minutes on each and then uh, what to do in there. So what do you like to start with? So let's start, let's start off with the one that's most common for everybody. Yeah. And that, and that is dryness. Mm. You know you're going through a period of spiritual dryness when you are bored with your prayer or you find your prayer tedious, or you're uninterested in your prayer, you find your prayer monotonous, it's flat, it's uninviting, you always know you always know you're going through a period of spiritual dryness, which by the way, let me say right away, this is normal. Spiritual dryness is normal, and for anybody who has made the commitment to daily prayer, St. Teresa of Avila, the great Carmelite mystic of the 16th century, Teresa of Avila says, if you're praying on a daily basis, usually after three months, the dryness sets in. Hmm. So this is normal, this is natural. And the reason why I want to say that is, how often do people say, Oh, I must be doing something wrong. What am I doing right? Why is my prayer now not as nourishing as it could be? Spiritual dryness is always me-centered. In other words, it keeps on, you, you hear yourself say, I'm not getting anything out of this prayer. Hmm. I must be doing something wrong. That's a sign you're going through spiritual dryness. It's focused on me. I'm not getting anything out of it. And usually, usually and this is a lot of people don't seem to, to get, spiritual dryness is oftentimes a call to a simpler form of prayer. You know, when we first begin our relationship with Jesus, it's like any other relationship. We always try to put on the good face. You know, <laughs> I remember when I was in college and I was dating this girl. And before I would call her up on Friday night to ask her out on the Saturday night date, I would literally in my head. I would literally kind of come up with some talking points, <laughs> you know, to have to make myself sound charming, likable, that kind of thing. And that's normal in any relationship. So in our in our relationship with Jesus, the same thing happens when we begin in prayer. We're doing all the talking. We're doing all the yakking. And spiritual dryness is a time to learn to let go of the words, to be more, to be to adopt a simpler form of prayer, something for for instance, something like the Jesus prayer, or something like you just praying with a simple mantra or a simple Bible verse that we just repeat slowly. The secret in spiritual dryness is always to remember when you feel called to silence in prayer. Follow the silence, because that is prayer. Silence is a form of prayer. I think it's John of the Cross who was famous for saying, you know, uh, the first language of God is silence, and everything else is a translation. Well, there's some truth to that, you know, there's some truth. So be aware that if you, if you make the commitment to daily prayer, you're going to struggle with dryness sooner or later. Teresa of Avila says usually after about three months. When you're going through a period of dryness, learn simply to follow the silence, to adopt a simpler form of prayer. 
And this is not the time to take a vacation from prayer. Because sometimes the people say is, well, you know, I'm going to stop praying for a week. And after a week, I'll go back to my prayer and maybe I'll be able to find that inner space again. Fidelity always, with everything in the spiritual life, fidelity is the important thing. Man, follow the silence. I think that's a quote we should all remember. Follow the silence. I mean, I've discovered that to be so true that, you know, some of the practices you mentioned have been so helpful. And along with that, like centering prayer, a breath meditation, something that, like you said, gives a little structure where there's not the pressure of I have to come up with what to say. I don't know what to say. I'm bored. But the very intention of showing up and remaining faithful seems to be the oh, work. You that you just hit the nail on the head. I think it's important for all of us to remember whether we're going through a, a period of dryness, whether it's darkness, whether it's desolation or depression. It's always important to remember that showing up is a valid form of prayer and God honors that. Even if I'm riddled with distractions, the mere fact that I'm there trying to be intentional in my relationship with God, God honors that. I mean, that's a wonderful gift we give to God when we show up when in point of fact, it's the last place we want to be. You know? so, <laughs> which, which yeah. and, and I think that's so encouraging to people because I mean, someone could look at you and say, Father Albert, there's no way you go through times of dryness. Oh. <laughs> it must oh, be something me. Oh, I'm not far me. enough along. <laughs> Phil, Phil, bless me with that. Bless me with that. <laughs> but, but it can be, right, but you get what I'm saying. It can become a thing of, well, I'm not far enough along. I'm not good enough. And I think what you're saying is it's going to happen no matter what. No matter what, no matter, it's a natural thing. And you know, you tell me, let me, you just now jogged a memory of mine uh, that your listeners might want to take a peek at. You know, we talked about how during during periods of dryness, it's really a call. It's really a call to let go of control, to, to allow the spirit to begin to pray in us. And that's what I mean when I say follow the silence, because that's where the spirit begins to operate. And, and one way, one way of adopting that simpler form of prayer is the, the practice of the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, on YouTube, there is a fascinating 23-minute video of an Orthodox priest in Canada giving a teaching on the Jesus Prayer. And if you go to YouTube and you just type in Jesus Prayer for Beginners, it is a marvelous teaching because this priest has so much wisdom and practical advice dealing with the more simpler form of prayer that we commonly call the Jesus prayer. I'll, uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes so then people can just click on it right below this episode. Yeah. So one of the difficult ones that I have difficulty um, separating dryness from is desolation. So can you share a little bit of the differences and what de and so therefore what desolation is? Okay, so desolation, we, we need to put ourselves in the framework of St. Ignatius of Loyola because St. Ignatius of Loyola, uh, 16th century, he has a very exact 
understanding of what he calls desolation. And desolation is basically the work of the evil spirits, the devil. And it is a temptation to give up on my spiritual commitments or my spiritual practices. It's that it, it is a spiritual movement inside of me that wants to move away from God. It's that temptation to kind of like turn in on myself and become overly preoccupied or self-absorbed. Um, Oftentimes when people are going through desolation, they will oftentimes isolate themselves from other people. Let, let me give you a perfect example. Let me give you a perfect example of desolation. I remember I had recently come back from preaching in a church uh, in Louisiana and I was taking a walk outside. It was a beautiful day and I was feeling great. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this thought came to me. What are you doing out there? You're wasting all your time. You're preaching to the choir. Why on earth do you want to keep on all of this, this preaching and this writing and this interest in God? And it was like all of a sudden my mood suddenly shifted. And that's a classic sign of desolation when I'm tempted to move away from God. So desolation is a spiritual emotion where I am tempted or I end up simply tossing in the towel and giving up on my relationship with God. Because, you know, as anybody will tell you, a relationship with God is just as tedious as a relationship with a wife or a husband. You know, we go through these rough times and with desolation, what happens is the rough times suddenly become my desire to break the relationship. That's mm. spiritual desolation. I want to move away from my commitment to God and my relationship with God. And when you when you look at the teachings of Ignatius of Loyola, he said, he says, <laughs> it's the same thing with, with dryness. He makes the point that when you're going through desolation, A, you never want to make any major life change or life decision. This is not the time to make a life decision. You want to be persistent in your prayer. You want to keep on reaching out to others. And during periods of desolation, this is where the prayer of remembrance can come in very, very handy, where you call to mind the gifts and the graces that God has given you in the past. Always remember, desolation is something that happens. It comes from outside of us and it tries to impose itself on us. And that's why Ignatius says it's really the work. It is the work of the evil spirit. It is the work of Satan. As a matter of fact, you can always remember anything that that takes away my peacefulness, my prayerfulness or my happiness. That's a that's an experience of desolation. So if you suddenly find yourself agitated, anxious, or you find yourself uninterested in prayer, um, anything that takes away your peacefulness, your prayerfulness or your happiness Odds are that's the work of the evil spirit, and that is what 
to Ignatius of Loyola calls that spirit of desolation. As you were talking, the image or the text that came to mind was the book of Hebrews saying, don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness, who as soon as a difficulty came, forgot all that had happened and wanted to go back into slavery. So I love that idea of that prayer of remembrance, because when we remember what God has done, when we remember the truth in the past, it sort of allows us to see past the blinders we may have on in the in the moment. Well, you know, I love the word, the way you just said that, Phil. When you, when you said, you know, we need to remember the truth mm-hmm. of the past because you know the devil is really the father of lies, and he, and with desolation he messes with our minds and our thinking by trying to convince us of a lie, of, you mm-hmm. know, that God doesn't love you or that God has abandoned you or all of this kind of stuff. And so it's really, really important with that prayer of remembrance that we stay rooted in the truth of our relationship with God and how God has been the source of so many blessings and gifts for each one of us. So would you say the Israelites standing in front of the sea with the Egyptians on their tail, was that a moment of desolation that they were experiencing when they forgot and and wanted to leave God to go somewhere else? Or was that something different? No, whenever whenever you feel a movement inside of yourself to break the relationship with God, that is always a period of desolation. And I love in I think it was in your Ordinary Mystics book, um, you talk about someone who in a time of desolation said, I know this is just Satan tricking me. So what I do is I pray extra time. <laughs> right. That, actually, that, was, that was a Presbyterian minister who comes to me for spiritual direction. And he himself said, he said, you know, I know the me- the devil's messing with me. So just to tee off the, the devil, <laughs> I'm going to extend my period of prayer. And so, yeah. So, yes, I mean, that can be helpful. But it's, it's also... The, the, the more valuable thing, the more valuable thing in the period of desolation is always to remember the past, especially God's gifts and graces. That's awesome. Okay, so dryness, desolation. Let's dive, dive into dark night. Ah, uh, the big whammy. Right? So now remember, remember I had said that dryness is me-centered, I'm not getting anything out of this prayer. That's dryness. Darkness, spiritual darkness, is God-centered. This is where I think that God has abandoned me. Spiritual darkness is that period when think of Jesus on the cross, and he begins to pray Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So, and, and I think oftentimes people confuse spiritual darkness with depression, and they're two radically different things. Spiritual darkness is spiritual, so it occurs in my spirit, and it's always the feeling that God has disappeared. God has, re- has become silent in my life. And I think oftentimes, and this is what's hard for all of us to accept, Spiritual darkness really is a purification. And and, and so though we hate it and though we think that God has abandoned us, in point of fact, what's going on is that we 
we typically confuse our image of God with the reality of God. And so when I hear myself say, how can God possibly allow this to happen? You know you're going through a period of darkness where your image of God is being challenged. And, and so oftentimes we confuse our image of God with the reality of God. Yeah. And so there are periods in the spiritual life when God being that jealous lover that he is, as scripture says he is, God comes into our life and says, you know what, I'm kind of tired now of you worshiping this idol, this golden calf that you think is me. And so I'm basically going to dismantle it. And, and so Darkness really is, spiritual darkness is really a grace because it really is transforming my image of God into something that approaches more and more the reality of who God is. And so when you're going through a spare period of spiritual darkness, the prayer you want to pray, it really is the prayer of abandonment. The prayer of acceptance. You, you know, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, now we, we know for 49 years, she experienced the, it's the, the longest documented period of spiritual darkness yeah, in wow. the history of Christian spirituality. And so she, because she was so focused on her feelings, she kept thinking that God had abandoned her. And luckily, she had a really wise spiritual director who said to her, just because you feel that God has abandoned you, God cannot abandon us. Because as Paul says, as Paul says at the Areopagus, as it's, as it's documented in the Acts of the Apostles, in God we live, we move, we have our very being. So we're surrounded by God, you know. God is like the air we breathe. Mm. And sometimes our emotions or our senses can't pick up God, but that doesn't mean God has disappeared because <laughs> God is always present. And so feelings are really an unsure guide in the spiritual life. And I think that's a mistake so many of us make. We equate God with the feelings of feeling good, feeling spiritually high, you know, all of that stuff. And what, what, the, what the dark night does, what the spiritual darkness does, it purifies us of all of the, I mean, spiritual peace and, and the feelings of, of, of being high on God. Those are all great. But that's for kids. <laughs> that's for kids. As we mature in the spiritual life, we learn to let go of them. And that's really what spiritual darkness does. It redefines our image of God. And that can be very, very painful because for all of us, we rely upon our image of God to make sense of our lives. And so when our image of God is being threatened, as it is in the dark night, this is when we just have to learn to abandon, surrender, and trust, knowing this is an action of God. I did not cause it. And, and the good news is this is a period of purification. That's resonating with me. You know, one of the quotes you had was that it can be an antidote to the most tempting form of idolatry. 
And as and as you were sort of just diving, or as you were diving into a minute ago, that we confuse how we understand God with the reality of God without realizing that we are finite. We are dust, right? With Lent, this is the perfect time to remember our thoughts are less than God. How can our words truly grasp who God is? In fact, I would say as soon as you think you understand God, you've probably got an idol on your hands. Well, you know what? This is what this is what Saint Augustine, way back in the fourth century, Saint Augustine says: if you understand it, it's not God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I and I think let me just let's just let's just tarry, tarry a little bit longer on this, Phil, because I think it's important to remember for all of us that when all is said and done, God is a mystery. Mm-hmm. God is a profound mystery, and as human beings. We need images, we need words in order to think about God, to fall in love with God. But it's important to remember that our words and our images are just that. They're photographs. They're not the real deal because when all is said and done, God is a mystery of unconditional love that surrounds us like the air we breathe and nothing no, no word or, or no expression can adequately sum up the reality of who God is. And sometimes it might even be a an image or a word or uh, some other way of understanding God served us for a time. And now it's time to move on. Outgrow our images of God like we outgrow our clothes. You, you know, and it's also important to remember that no matter how you image God, you're always wrong. You know, <laughs> God is Father. There's no doubt about it. Jesus said He is. But you know what? God is not Father because God is so much more than what the human word Father connotes. God, God is love. Absolutely, the Bible says that in, in the letter to John. But the reality is God is not love because God is so much more than the human experience of love. In the 14th century, Meister Eckhart has that wonderful sentence. He says, the hand that writes the true thing about God is the hand that erases. Mm. That no matter what we write about God, <laughs> if you want it to be more accurate, you have to erase it because God is a mystery. Well, and what I think is helpful about that, and maybe it's challenging on one level and encouraging, is that it's really then a call to humility, a call to to a deep enough trust to say, maybe God isn't what I thought God was or what I was taught. Because, I mean, that's one of the difficult things with this, right? It can be painful to lose our images because that's what our mom and dad taught us or a loving pastor or... Not just what, what we were taught, but I mean, this is what we rely on for our spiritual formation. Yeah. I mean, our spiritual formation is grounded on our images of God. And so when that begins to be challenged, I mean, our whole spiritual life suddenly goes up in the air. Yeah. And that's, I think, where we say that's why it's dark, right? We feel a little bit like we're wandering around, not sure where we're going. And and I think, as you said, that's when we fully surrender to God in that trust that even though it feels like God is abandoned, there's actually solid ground 
even if we're not fully aware of it maybe at the moment. Because you can, you cannot trust your feelings. Mm. That's the important thing. When it, when it when it comes to God, you cannot trust your you know even even Paul says what is it in the second letter to Thessalonians or the first letter? Paul says that even the devil can disguise himself as an angel of light. Mm. So just because I think I'm having an experience of God does not necessarily mean it's truly of God, you know? And the converse is also true that just because I think God has abandoned me, God cannot abandon us. I mean, we're surrounded by God. So there's an openness. There's there's an invitation here to say there's more to it than wherever you are right now. <laughs> and, there is. And that means that we can be open. I mean, to me, this then opens for, and again, this doesn't mean you let just anything in, but it does open to say others may have had experiences or perspectives that I haven't had, and I can be open to the fact that God may be bigger than I thought. Oh, you act, God always is. God always is. <laughs> you know, this is what, I think, what is it? Is it in the book of Exodus, is chapter 32? You know, the, the story of when the Israelites make the golden calf, if you remember, Moses is up in the mountain, up the mountain, get, getting the Ten Commandments. And the people kind of, kind of get nervous and jittery down in the valley. So they decide they decide to make this golden calf. And we always think of it as idolatry, that they're worshiping a golden calf. But when you read that passage closely, what you see is that they wanted to have something of God. So they make this golden calf and they say, this is Yahweh. This is the mm. God who brought us out of Egypt. And that is, so their image of God was that golden calf. And that's the same thing we do when we hang on to our images of God. We turn them into a, into a golden calf. And God is so much more than any image that we can ever think of. Again, quoting Augustine, if if you understand it, it's not God. So when we're going through a dark night, then, what do you think step one is? Surrender, acceptance, and calling to mind the fact that just because I feel that God has abandoned me does not mean that God has abandoned me. Because feelings are an unsure guide in the spiritual life. And that's one of the things, so oftentimes, Phil, as a spiritual director, I, I see this is one of the big mistakes a lot of people make, that somehow or another, they equate God with the spiritual feelings. And in other words, they confuse the gifts with mm. the giver. And we don't want the gifts. We want the giver. And so it's really, it's a hard pill for all of us to swallow. And every now and then, God kind of gets a little bit upset with the way we put so much emphasis on the gifts, or we put so much emphasis on our image of God, that he comes in to purify us. So really, in these times, we need just to surrender and to accept. We like to have control. <laughs> oh, that it's, that is the bugaboo in the spiritual life and in spiritual in the spiritual formation that we have to learn to let go. Yeah, let go of that control. God cannot be put in a box. And if God can be put in a box, then it's the golden calf. And we should <laughs> consider right. uh, that we've gone astray a little bit. And, and you know, let me let me also tell you something, though, Phil. It's interesting because I always sometimes when I give talks, I always like to talk about the institutional God 
and the mystical God. Let me explain. Every church will say, we have God. And every church will say, if you want God, we have God in this box. If you find yourself in this box, you can rest assured you are you are right with God. That's the institute. That's what institutions do. And so that's what the institutional church does. Nobody's going to join a church that says, well, we might have God, but we might not. No, the institution, the institutional church always boxes God in. And then you have the mystical God. The mystic comes and says, God is always found outside the box. And in point of fact, we need them both. If you have, if the problem with just the institutional God is, if you just hang on to the institutional God, then you think you have God figured out and you have turned God into a pet. But if you focus too much on the mystical God, you then turn God into a Wi-Fi signal. <laughs> and, you, and you can't very well fall in love with a Wi-Fi signal. So we need, we need both of them. As human beings, we need the institution of God that gives us ideas, approximates what God is like. But then it's the mystical God that reminds us that no matter how we think about God, it's always wrong always wrong. And when you look at the history of Christian spirituality, as I have, I mean, that's what my expertise is in, the whole history of Christian spirituality can be written from the clash of the institutional God with the mystical God. And we have something to learn from both, huh? In that tension, in that play, the dance. Right. In that tension is where we get insights into God. Yeah. So so let's go to the fourth one, which is a little different than the others, and that's depression. Right. And the reason is because depression is not spiritual. Depression is a deep feeling of sadness. It's it, you, you know you're, you're depressed if you have an inability to sleep or you want to sleep more often than you're not. You lose your appetite. You, you have problems with concentration. Uh, you might lose interest in your family and your friends and sex. You have prolonged anger and ir- irritability. You might find yourself trying to medicate yourself with reckless behavior uh, in the forms of some kind of abuse, whether that would be, you know, over gambling or sex abuse or or alcohol, it's negative thoughts. Uh, All of those are, are, that's depression. And and when depression is full blown, it turns into the next D, uh, which is really despair. Mm. And, And I think with depression, this is a tough pill for a lot of people to follow, but depression you can't pray away i mean when you're in deep depression this is when you need to seek out help professional help whether that be through counseling uh you you have to learn how to express you how you are feeling in an appropriate uh in an appropriate way And, and sometimes you might even need medication but it's really important that you cannot pray away depression, and it saddens me because some people try to do that. Yeah, don't don't miss that because I think what what he, what you just said, you know, for everyone listening, is key because there's a danger 
in the church when people say, well, if you believed enough, you would be healed oh. or this is just in your head or it's, you know, there, there's a lot of danger in saying, well, just read your Bible, just pray more. There's things that are deeper, that are in our emotion, that are in our genetics, that are in our brain that we cannot control. And outside help is not a sign of weakness. Okay. Well, no, exactly. Because I mean, it's, it's like anything else. When you have a heart attack, you go to a medical doctor because God uses medicine to help heal us. And when you're having when you're having a, a heart attack in the emotional way, you seek out counseling because that's how God, God God uses counselors and psychologists to help to minister to us. So I, I think it's really important to kind of keep that in mind. And it saddens me. It's because every now and then I will hear somebody say, something like well you know if you prayed more this will go away or if you pray if you read your bible more you'll be feeling better well that's not necessarily true it's not necessarily true no question about it so there's different ways to go about these different things depending on who you are can can you share with me the role of community in the four d's oh well i mean exactly first of all in, in with with regards to the dryness, just to be able to share with someone, I'm going through a period of dryness, and they will oftentimes validate that by saying, oh, yes, I've experienced that too. Same thing with darkness. Darkness, when, when you're going through a period of darkness, sometimes we need to rely upon the community as our image of God is being reshaped. Uh, when, when you talk about desolation, it's the community that can help to remind me how God has blessed me in the past. And so that prayer of remembrance can come in handy and I can find the content for my prayer of remembrance by talking to my community and having them remind me of how God has blessed me. And then, of course, with depression, even though it's not spiritual, the role the role of community comes into play with through counselors and through friends who can help us. And so, you know, I, I think it's important, this nonsense that spiritual formation is just about me and Jesus, <laughs> that is really, really dangerous. And unfortunately, I find that, I don't know how, how strong that is in the Protestant tradition, but I find that in the Catholic tradition, so many people think that the spiritual life and spiritual formation is just about me and Jesus, and you, Phil, are a distraction to my spiritual mm. life and my spiritual yeah. formation. And that is just so wrong and so off track. Yeah, well, and, and I think one connection point in that, not necessarily to community, but to what I see you doing across your work is that where we find God is in the present moment. That this isn't about escaping to be somewhere else. It, and it's not even, I mean, we definitely would encourage people to take time to be silent, right? Follow the silence, as we said. But I love how many stories you share of meeting God in what you call the unmet need, right? Or the required duty, which we've talked about before. But, but that can happen when you're doing dishes, when you're driving, when you're working on your computer. That when we can be mindful of the present moment... That is where we're going to meet God. And so I think depression, obviously having some other caveats that deal with, like you talked about, getting help from a person or maybe even a medication. 
for a lot of these, I feel like the answer at a at sort of a maybe simple level is become as present as you can possibly be to the moment. You know, you know the, the Hasidic Jews, the, the real traditional Jews who wear the the black hats and they have the earlocks and stuff. They have the belief that I just love. They believe that every day God sends one hundred angels into a person's life. And so every day we have 100 visitations from God. And if we would just learn to live with awareness in the present moment, we would come to see that time and time and time again. And always be aware that God comes to us not as we expect him to. He's a God of surprise. And he's always a God of disguise. And so it's so important to remember that. Yeah, like Abraham making the meal for the three that show up and how frequently, uh, yeah, it, it could be God showing up or an well, angel showing up in your life. Right. Well, you know, I, I always love to use the image of, you know, in the uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter one, where, where Gabriel enters into Mary's life and asks her to be the mother of Jesus. Well, it's interesting. It's really unfortunate in English. We translate the Greek word angelos as an angel. Mm. And so right away when we, re- when we read the English translation, we think of the halo, we think of the <laughs> wings, you know. And so we, th- we think, well, of course Mary is going to say yes because it's clearly an angel. Well, the reality is the Greek word angelos, the very first translation is simply a messenger. Yeah. So a messenger by the name of Gabriel. So that that could have been that could have been anybody with the name of Gabriel. You're dropping so a, biblical insights today. Well, no, no, <laughs> I love I, it. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that that God uses the ordinary yeah. to come into my life, and so so Gabriel was this messenger, but he probably didn't have the halo and the wings as we always think of him as having. And I and so and so the neighbor next door can be a Gabriel to me, can be a messenger to me, my spouse, my kids. And so I just need as, as I always like to tell people, listen to your life mm-hmm. because your life is the megaphone through which God speaks. It's a beautiful invitation. So in light of the four D's. What would be some final words you would offer to some people? A challenge and an encouragement? What, what might you sum up to uh, send people forth with? Two things, and I've already repeated them. Number one, whenever you're tempted to move into silence, follow the silence. Because that is an invitation to deeper prayer. You know, Paul talks about we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit prays inside of us. Yeah. Well, that's the invitation. So that silence is oftentimes the doorway or the hallway we need to walk down to let the Spirit into our lives and, and, and to let the Spirit pray inside of us. So we need to always follow the silence. And secondly, as I already mentioned with regards to Mother Teresa, always remember feelings 
are an unsure guide in the spiritual life. Just because you feel that God has abandoned you, God cannot abandon us. And also, just because you think you're having an experience of God does not necessarily mean you are, because even the devil can disguise himself as an angel of light. So we need to constantly be discerning, listening, pondering. Where can people find you, Father Albert? <laughs> right here, right now. <laughs> well, my, my website is www.albertofm.org, and, they, and if they go to my website, they can find all of my uh, all of my all of my books. Um, I've I've had, I've had eleven books published, and if you go to YouTube, I have a couple of YouTube videos. Uh, not many, maybe about eight of them or so. So yeah. Well, it is always an honor and privilege to talk to you and have you on the podcast. I love coming on your show, Phil. I love coming. And I'm going to try. I have to remember, Sunday nights, 8 o'clock, you and your wife have your Alexio Davina live on Facebook. And I'm going to try to make that. We can't wait. All right. Blessings, friend. Hey friends, Phil here again. Before we get going, I just wanted to say thanks again for joining us for this episode with Father Albert Haas. If you enjoyed this episode, you should definitely check out Father Albert's books. He's written 11 of them. He's got a variety of YouTube videos. I know they've blessed me. They've challenged me, encouraged me. And Father Albert's become something like a spiritual mentor to me has so much wisdom to share. So I highly recommend those books. And if you've enjoyed this, I highly recommend you go back and listen to our first interview that was back in December, if you haven't heard it already. And we do these types of episodes where we bring on people to interview all the time. So check one of those out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed it. We definitely appreciate that. It is a blessing. So brothers and sisters, until next time, grace and peace be with you.